Welcome to another podcast from A Passion for Life. I'm Craig Dyer, and although it's only our fifth podcast, I've already been shown to be a false prophet. We'd said that we'd hope to have uh, our brother Felix Aremo with us. He's the training director with London City Mission. Uh, and he was going to be on today's episode, but alas, Felix is a very busy man and we weren't able to arrange a time with him. However, he is keen to be on and we look forward to having him on very soon. However, we rejoice always in God's sovereignty over every detail in the lives of his people and this whole wide universe. And you may know if you've been listening that we've been trailing for about four episodes our hope to hear more about the actual organization of A Passion for Life and learn more about how it is designed to serve you where you are. So today, it's my pleasure to introduce not one, but two guests. Lafraz Stridham is the National Director of Ward One to One, and John McKinnon is the Training Director of Ward One to One. And both these brothers are seconded to the steering committee and the delivery team of A Passion for Life. You'll very quickly detect that we have a range of accent. We have a Saffir and a Scotsman on today. So welcome, Lefraz. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you both. How's life with you both today? Well, doing really well, Craig. And uh, it's going to be a question of guess the accent. And uh, those who are listening now know that this is not the Saffir accent. Uh, but uh, doing well, it's really great. Really excited about all that God is doing around the UK and Ireland. The encouragement is there for different folks. And a real privilege to be with you uh, today in this podcast. Uh, it's great to have you. How are you doing, Lefraz? Great to join you, Craig, uh, from southeast London. And yes, life is good. The days are getting longer. Kids are back at school, so uh, it feels there's a bit more space in the mind and, and um, yeah, very encouraged. Well, that's great. We're going to spend a little while just getting to know you both a little bit um, and then thinking about uh, the wonders of a passion for life. So let's begin just with your, your families. Lefraz, you had a, a wedding anniversary recently. Tell us a little bit about your, your wife and your children. Oh, yes, I can talk all day about Suzanne. 14 years married to Suzanne, and uh, she's a real gift to me. Fellow fellow South African, and we, we speak Afrikaans in the house. Not not wow. a lot of people know that. Three kids, by God's grace. Uh, boy, girl, sorry, girl, boy, girl, nine, seven, five. And a uh, big mistake we made during lockdown is to get a dog named Frodo, and uh, that's that's not been easy. Oh, wow. But, um, but yeah, the Lord's, the Lord's grace is with us. Well, at any moment, our doors could burst open and Frodo or our Brady could burst in and, and, and wreck the smooth running of these uh, podcasts. So it's, it's, it's a risk we take, but they're well worth having. John, what about your home life? Yeah, certainly uh, here at home, there's uh, my wife, Linda. Linda and I have been married for 38 years. Uh, we we used the excuse that we started very, very young. And, uh, you know, but it's a joy. And she just, as Lafraz said, what a wonderful gift uh, a good woman is. And uh, also my mother-in-law uh, lives at home with us as well. During the midst of all the pandemic and lockdown, we felt it was the right time uh, for her to uh, move out of the home that she'd been in for so long and move in with us. And so uh, she's here. But uh, Linda and I have three adult children, a uh, girl and two boys, and they're 37, 34 and 32 and uh, we rejoice uh, Linda and I have been blessed with four grandchildren and so the title that I probably enjoy more than anything else is the title Papa and I'm Papa to uh, four grandchildren one boy who's seven and three girls who are four just over one and just over six months or around six months 
Oh, that's Papa, like... Papa John in the in the team meetings. <laughs> Papa as well. John. That's right, Papa John. <laughs> great that title. Is, that is awesome. That is a real treasure. And so, John, obviously, you're the Scotsman. Have you always lived in the Garden of Eden, John? Or uh, I mean, where was your early life? Absolutely. You know, born and bred. You know, Glasgow born, Glasgow bred. Strong in the arms, thick in the head, That's and uh, always, always blessed uh, to live uh, in the Holy Land. Really, so. <laughs> <laughs> no comment what about your early life uh, Lafraz uh, whereabouts in South Africa were you born and brought up grew up in a little mining town called Rustenburg which is uh, due west of Johannesburg in the north of the country right. Great. and lived and worked near Cape Town for a few years before coming to England in 2004 so you came to the UK 2004 and was that for work or for family reasons or what what brought you to the UK I was between jobs I was a I was a pretty sort of restless 25 year old uh without god and without hope in the world and uh between jobs and thoughts I'll just come to England and see what happens there slept on a friend's uh, sofa for a month found a job um became a christian met my wife and here I am 17 years later <laughs> Oh, no, that, that sounds like there's a bit to tell there. So how did you come to know the Lord from that restlessness, Lefraz? Uh There was a few months uh, into uh, coming to England. I was, I was still going to church like any uh, self-respecting Afrikaner boy. I was a Dutch Reformed uh, churchgoer. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember in church uh, seeing a cause being advertised called Being a Contagious Christian, which is an evangelistic Training course, I've, I've since discovered. And uh, the first thing they taught us on that course was to share our testimony. How did we come to know Christ and uh, what difference does Christ make in our lives? And I sat there and for the first time, though my conscience had pricked me uh, previously about not being right with God, it was the first time I think it was really clear that actually I was not a Christian. I was not born again. Um, I did not have the Holy Spirit and Jesus didn't really make a dot of difference to my life. Amazing. So that really shocked me. And, you know, in the months after that, uh, through various um, through various things that the Lord brought on my life, uh, came to into a charismatic church that my that my girlfriend at the time had invited me to and responded to an altar call on the fourth of July. I was born on the fourth of July, two thousand four. Lafraz, that that is remarkable. And I'm sure I'm sure John having we'll hear about John's work as a pastor later on, but I'm sure it just amazes us to think of of that church providing training to help Christians be contagious in their faith. And it was the very means of you realizing you had actually at that point, no salvation, no knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And that was the very means that God in his grace used to bring you to him. That is, that is thrilling to hear um, how good and faithful the Lord is. John, how did the Lord draw you to him? Yeah, I I wasn't brought up uh, within a kind of Christian uh, family who would regularly uh, attend worship. I was what I've often described as one of the sent ones. Uh, turning the clock back many, many years ago, uh, there was a case where strong, stable, secure families, very much a, a loving and stable family, uh, would send their children 
to Sunday school, to Boys Brigade, to all these events, even although the parents didn't necessarily uh, give the lead in going regularly to worship. And so uh, I was sent along with my, my three brothers. I'm, I'm one of four boys and uh, sent along with my three brothers, you know, to Boys Brigade, to Sunday school. I'm very thankful looking back uh, on how valuable that has been for me because it did give me a grounding that I had no idea uh, I had when I reflected back later. However, Again, like most of that, when you kind of reach a, a kind of teenage stage and uh, rebelling against any kind of uh, authority with no real reason why you're doing it, but at the end of the day you were doing it, uh, I stopped uh, participating in all those things. I, I finished school. Uh, I didn't apply myself at school. In fact, I made arrangements with teachers that uh, if I didn't turn up for classes, they would mark me as present because it was easier all round. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we had that kind of arrangement. I left school and started to work uh, in the printing industry. I was a print finisher uh, in the box making department of a, a major uh, Glasgow company. And it was while I was a printer or an apprenticeship uh, printer uh, that my, my three hobbies were football females and fast cars. And the middle one, uh, took me back to church because there was a there was a church uh, in the area that had uh, a plethora of incredibly good-looking women. And of truth, it was no high and holy intention on my part. Uh, I went there because it was just a place that was full of good-looking women. But uh, I was in for uh, a kind of awakening uh, because there there were folks who were so faithful, so true to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, so faithful in communicating that and sharing that and articulating that. And I went along for very unholy reasons uh, and encountered the very holy God. And wow. so the reality was that uh, in the preaching, uh, there, there was someone unpacking. I still remember it very clearly, John 10, and particularly verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, but I have come to give you life, life in all its fullness. I mean, I look back on the grace of God there. I realized I, I you know, I had two trajectories ahead of me. Uh, one was not going to be good for me in any way, shape or form. Uh, and the other was going to come through repentance and trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I was invited to a prayer meeting, never been to one in my life. And I watched people praying and the impact upon me was significant. Uh, and so in my uh, late teens, uh, I became a Christian. I get, you know, responded to uh, the call of God uh, to repent, to put my trust in him uh, and became a follower. And it was the, the start of a, a very long journey. Uh, it's amazing what you discover at a later stage because I, I discovered uh, a number of years later when I went to give testimony in a little church that my accounts teacher, who I had really given a difficult time to, I'd, I'd been an obnoxious pupil for her, uh, but her reaction to that was always to go home and pray for me. Wow. And her prayer was, Lord, take this young man and do something special with his life. So, you know, we, we that is uh, nothing is wasted in the economy of God. Yeah. And I'm just so thankful uh, for the way in which uh, he, he's roomy to himself at that stage in life. It's so significant, I think, as we hear from both of you today, um, that your testimonies both wonderfully express the importance of local churches just being faithful to the gospel and the stunning impact of that on you as a young guy, Lafraz, you as a young guy, John, um, is really thrilling. It's it's just remarkable. We just never know what God is doing uh, through that. So, John, what were the steps into gospel work for you then? Did that happen immediately? Was the impact of the gospel 
so great that you just thought, I want to give my life to this? Or, or how did mm. that go? I, I think on reflection, uh, I certainly very early on realised the, the significant difference uh, that coming to faith in Christ means for any individual and had a desire to share that, a desire to mm. communicate that. Uh, but the, the person who's now my wife, in actual fact, had been the year below me at school and she was a fiery evangelist. She was forever organising events, trying to get Amazing. guys like myself to uh, come along to those <laughs> uh, events, uh, you know, largely to no avail in that context, but very thankful to God for what happened later on. Uh, but probably uh, the, the youth group that I was a part of had a very good youth leader. Uh, who took time to invest in me and to invest in others. I think they saw something uh, that I was completely unaware of. They uh, took time to invest in me. They knew I was the kind of character that could take uh, constructive criticism, that I could mm. probably, you know, they, they could pretty much tackle head on some of the stuff that needed to change within me uh, to humble me and to bring me to that place where I'd be perhaps of use to God in service. And I was very thankful to God for that. And they were the ones who took risks in starting to ask me to give word of testimony to share. And it became very apparent early on that I had a, a, an ability to articulate uh, the gospel, to articulate my faith, to share that with others, mm -hmm. uh, to communicate that. Uh, and so I, I continued my apprenticeship. I finished my apprenticeship. I felt that the, the training I got in the factory floor, which was at times merciless persecution, uh, was very, very helpful uh, in actual fact in terms of being able to communicate the gospel. Uh, when I started to move into, you know, full-time Christian ministry. I did my training at the Bible Training Institute in Glasgow. Yeah. We felt it was right to take a step, do some training. I hadn't applied myself at school. I'd got a hunger. I went to evening classes. I'd get a real hunger to study the Word of God. Uh, probably one of the things that spoke most to my family was the fact that I went from never studying to now constantly studying. And, uh, you know, I, I went from there full-time to the Bible Training Institute. And when I, when I came out of that, there was pressure on me I think at that stage to go straight to the pastoral ministry there wasn't the networks we have now for uh, training young men mm. for the ministry unless you went down the university road uh, but for myself I had a real call for those that were outside the church and so in fact my first steps in ministry were very much out in youth projects uh, I was doing detached youth work before there was such a thing as detached youth work. <laughs> and so I was out in the streets working amongst the street, uh, the, the, the gang culture that was there in the town I was living in at the time, uh, working in the drug scene that was very prominent at that time and doing a lot of work in the schools. And because of that, also some of the Young Offenders Institutes. And so that that was the kind of the grounding for ministry for me. And from there, uh, I, I came to realise that the gifting that principally God had put within me was the gift of the evangelist. Uh, and it took me a long time to learn that that was about equipping the church uh, yeah. not just about doing the evangelism yourself and, and so that was a steady curve in, in learning all of that and uh, so that was the first steps but probably the key markers were people who were willing to invest in me willing to take a risk knew how to challenge me uh, about the good the bad and the ugly of my life and uh, you know were ready uh, to kind of you know mentor encourage me and Always thankful for the late Dr. Jeffrey Grogan at yeah. the BTI, whose influence upon me was massive. I was going to ask you if Jeff was there at your time, that, that he was. He was just legendary and a, a giant in the land. And we thank God for his memory and for the, the input of his life. Um, that is great. That's great. And what an encouragement to maybe a youth leader listening. 
um, who's maybe going through an, a kind of unpromising season. You just never know what God is doing through that faithful, loving, uh, Christ-centered ministry. And this th- that has been a theme of earlier podcasts, people who had a burden to pray um, and uh, are the unsung heroes, you know. And, and again today, we only in eternity will we know the impact of that. So that's very worthwhile. Um, no, I'm glad about that. Lafraz, we were hearing the wonderful news of how uh, in your early to mid-twenties you, you wonderfully came to know the Lord, but you hadn't yet met Suzanne. Fill in the blanks about that. How did you meet her? Um, and what kind of work were you doing? And, and we want to get to hear what were the triggers for you to think about eventually coming into full-time gospel work. Thanks, Greg. Yes, I met Suzanne at that same church and she had, she had recently come to the Lord as well. Um, working in the city of London, I'd come upon the lunchtime talks at St. Helens Bishop's Gate. Mm. Uh, so there's this growing network called Gospel at Work across uh, the city of London where uh, city workers are trained to be missionaries in the places of work. And and that was really influential in, in my mindset, just to just to think of myself as a missionary in the workplace. It took a while. Um, I remember having debates with my Bible study leaders saying, I don't have the gift of an evangelist. Don't tell me to go and share the gospel in my office. Um, so there were many, many sort of challenges like that. Um, but I'm so thankful for people's uh, patient uh, perseverance and I guess I started seeing myself as a missionary in the workplace. I just didn't feel I was a very good one. So, uh, you know, looking for opportunities for conversations, sort of mumbled invites to to church, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but it's really when I was encouraged and made the intentional decision to um, to invite and to um, offer to read the Bible with my colleagues right there where we're at, um, you know, that, that, that the Lord opened my eyes to the, to, the, to the potential when you just lean on his word. Mm. And I was able over a few years to, to read the Bible with five or six um, colleagues and, and business connections in the city of London, whole range of, of backgrounds um, from, from no knowledge of the Bible to, um, you know, to, to sort of nominal or Christian or, or Catholic and just seeing the power of God's word at work as you as you read through it verse by verse, and just how accessible that experience is to the uh, to the to the one who's not yet a Christian, and how <clears throat> the Lord moves people in their in their understanding. I only had one colleague wonderfully come to the Lord. The other guys, as far as I know, have not yet come to the Lord, but they've all mm-hmm. shifted in their thinking and understanding of who the Lord is and what Christianity is all about. So that became a real ministry passion for mine, you know, having had the lights gone on in my in my own life and having discovered a vibrant ministry amongst my own friends. And so an opportunity came up a couple of years ago to to lead uh, the word one to one as a as a ministry director and that was just a really good uh, opportunity to bring together what had become a ministry passion, but also to use my my business gifts uh, to 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 serve the Lord uh, and to and to develop the product and to and to grow the reach and to really you know what we what we aim to do is just to to mobilize and encourage um, normal Christians, everyday believers, to to, mm. to discover that same ministry amongst their own. 
neighbors, friends, colleagues, uh, family members. And the joy when the lights go on and people see God's word at work is just it's just a wonderful thing to be involved in. Nothing like it in the world, is there? Mm. No, that's that's great to hear. And and wonderful, I think, to hear from both of you this morning, just the integrity now of your involvement in the work of the gospel, that it came from, first of all, the Lord's own gracious saving encounter with you, and then your stunning conviction about the power of his word by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and therefore, just these opportunities coming to, to be able to serve him and, and help others to to see that. And I love that concept of being a missioner, a missionary at work. We talk a lot, especially on this podcast, about, about mission culture development. And that's that's going to be a key thing for us just to unpack a little bit um, today. John, turning back to you, as a uh, as a, a younger man, as you began in uh, let's let's think mostly about church ministry now. When you were in a, a local church, how did you begin to develop what we would now call a mission culture? What what was your what was your impressions of what had to be done in order for that to happen? Yeah, in in the journey of ministry, Craig, I, I moved from uh, very much itinerant work to beginning to work very closely with church leaders. And what we used to talk about a long time ago is strategies for evangelism. And really, in essence, we were talking about how do we strengthen the mission culture? How do we yeah. strengthen the culture of evangelism within the local church? And that's always been a, a passion of my heart. I think we realised that the majority of people still come to faith through the witness of a family member or through a friend or through a neighbour, you know, they don't come predominantly uh, through the kind of uh, preaching, teaching ministry of the church. Very often that's where they will come to faith, uh, but it's through the witness, it's through the influence. And so I suppose the big difference is that we're, we're not simply, events are very important, but in actual fact, if we think about a passion for life, when we think about a month of mission, we also talk about a lifestyle of evangelism. And so culture is that which is lasting, enduring, natural in the life of uh, individuals. And so uh, in the local church that I led for the last 18 years, there were probably uh, three main things that governed how we developed that, how we strengthened that mission culture. One was very much working closely with leadership so that who we are as leaders is modelling and displaying what it is to live uh, the lifestyle of the believer, to uh, know the gospel, love the gospel, live it out uh, and model that in terms of what we're seeking to do. I think we uh, worked hard at getting to know our people and who they were and where God had called them uniquely to be, that we might uh, equip them that they also could live out, they could know the gospel, uh, live it, love it, uh, where God uh, had called them to be. And also we knew our community. And I think for us, in terms of the local church, that then gave us the guide on the kind of church we ought to be in terms of how we communicated the good news. And so uh, Calderwood, where I, Calderwood Baptist Church, where I served for the last 18 years, and I'm still part of that church there, uh, Calderwood has very much... It's in the middle of a community that's full of families, 
And so we tried to equip a lot of our people uh, to uh, grow and disciple their own family, to see the conversion of their own family, but also to witness to those families around that they might be a great model of what it is to live as family in the safety, security, stability of what it is to be a family under God, uh, and also to share the good news of Jesus in that context. But also, it was an area of great need, and so we invested a great deal in our community and seeking to do all of it unapologetically in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so while we, we do coordinate one of the largest food banks, uh, we put very clear criteria on how we would do that. And so we didn't just provide the care, but we provided in the name of Jesus a place where folks could come and in a hospitality setting, uh, you know, be loved, be cared for, be prayed for, uh, there would be opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the difference he could make. And it was interesting that uh, out of that, we started to uh, help with all manner of you know debt management you know uh, job uh, you know applications and kind of enabling people to get back to work but again we did all of that unapologetically in the name of Jesus and the number of people that came to a living faith through coming to a job club or coming to a debt management course mm -hmm. uh, is quite remarkable but I think it's about preparing your people to know how to share that in a natural way and to take up the natural opportunities uh, and to, first and foremost, really love the person because they're made in the image of God, they're not a project, and bring them sure. uh, to that place uh, where they can share the gospel and God can do his work of calling and drawing and making uh, followers of himself. And so it, it was very... Uh, slow, very deliberate. It was doing a lot of small things well over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was very important just to try and get people to be uh, knowing uh, what they believe, why they believe it, and how they can share it uh, with others. And just as a, an everyday lifestyle thing. So it was, it was effectively decentralising the gospel ministry. So it wasn't just to do with the pastor and the elders. It was to do with equipping the whole church family, giving them a vision and um and supporting that vision with with the tools and the skills and the biblical understanding to be able to just live um courageously and engagingly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John, I mean, that doesn't happen. You've touched on this, I guess. That doesn't happen in six months. Um help us understand how prepared we have to be for the long haul in terms of of working towards that kind of culture change in a church i mean absolutely by the by the grace of god uh, i've been privileged to be you know called of god to a number of small church i was part of a big church in fact the, the church that uh, i moved from had started small again it was 40 or 50 and it grew to an excess of 400 uh, but when my wife and i were looking at, at going you know to a church to just Bring the lead pastoral role there again by the call of God. We went to uh, a small church uh, of thirty or forty, and we've been, you know, so thankful to see the way in which the Lord has grown that. And time and time again, He's brought other churches along who we've been able to draw alongside. And we always, we always make a point of saying that this is not going to be an overnight, you know, sensation. Uh, this is going to be about doing the important things. Well, the church doesn't do the work of evangelism. The church. Uh, equips its members that they might do the work of evangelism. And that equipping process is not overnight. That equipping process is something that we do again and again and again. It's not about learning technique. Uh, it's about 
falling in love more and more with Jesus himself. And as we fall in love more and more with him, we fall in love more and more with his love for the lost and uh, his concern for his world. Uh, and, and that probably uh, is, is the kind of foundational you know, stone on which we kind of build that work. So for myself, I would always begin with leadership. And then I would begin to try in everything that we're doing to to model uh, not only in the leadership team, but also in the life of the church, uh, you know, what it is. And and I suppose for myself, one of the encouraging things having recently stepped down is to watch the young man that stepped up. And the first thing I did is sat down with the leaders and said, right, where are we on sharing our faith? Where are we on communicating the gospel? How well are we doing that? Uh, you know, so it was part of the culture. And I think to celebrate, uh, you know, making evangelism uh, a regular part of our, of our Sunday preaching, celebrating not just the conversion stories, but also the people that God used to bring about that conversion. Uh, you know, Thomas McNeil, who's the, the young lad who leads the church that I've been in for the past 18 years now, Thomas was talking to me the other day, he said, John, I think what we're going to do at baptisms is we're going to get the testimony of the person that's been saved, but we're also going to get the testimony of the person that God used to bring that person to faith. And I think that's wonderful because Brilliant. what you then do is you're celebrating that this is what it is to be mm. the people of God. This is what it is to be, you know, salt and light. This is what it is to be a city and a hill. This is what it is to be distinctive uh, about our faith. And so we're always just looking for the little ways in which we can equip our people to realize this is just normal everyday Christian living. This is not, so, you know, we all know uh, that, you know, Rico Tice always talks about that, that, you know, uh, you know, the fear factor, the kind of, you know, uh, making the ask and making the invite. But it's getting to a place where we learn that this is just, this is just who we are. This is just what we do as followers of Christ. Uh, we want to share this incredible good news uh, that we've encountered, that we've been drawn into, that we know is true. Uh, and we want to communicate that with others. But it's to get them to do that in the most natural way possible. And I think probably the other thing is that to help them realise God is at work doing the work of evangelism uh, and we're not responsible for the A to Z. You know, uh, God may use us in his grace to lead somebody from nowhere to a living faith in Christ. But in the journey from A to Z, we may be just a part of that, sowing the seed or watering the seed or drawing out uh, the person. And almost in a sense to, to get to that place. I remember years ago, Craig, and you'll recall this, it was almost the pressure was on us to do everything. Yeah, uh, and to kind of you know it was almost a technique you had to move them from here to there and sometimes in the grace of God we still get opportunities to do that but I think one of the things we've, we've learned is equip our people to realise God is at work he's working through his people he's using you and what he's using you to do today I've always loved Ephesians 2 verse 10 you are God's workmanship he is the one that's doing the work created in Christ Jesus you know that's the call of God in Christ for us to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for us. And so I, I try to get into that, uh, you know, Ephesians mode of keeping in step with the Spirit, looking for the opportunities that God has for us, both those that we're praying about and those that we've got no idea of because in the providence of God, he, he set them up for us. And uh, so it's probably just trying to get people to that place where they're relaxed in that and they're open to that. Uh, and sometimes it's an invitation, come and see, and sometimes God's using them to go and tell. Absolutely remarkable. Great to hear it. So succinctly put, 
Lafraz, you're also committed, as John is, to a local church and to serving alongside uh, your your brothers there. What's been your experience of of trying to develop a, a healthy mission culture in in that setting? Thanks, Greg. Yes, I'm uh, for the last five years. I've been elder at a FIC affiliated church, uh, Elmstead Baptist. And having moved from a church, uh, St. Helens Bishopsgate, where <clears throat> well-resourced and a real, you know, DNA of mission um, to a church where there's a there's a lovely, warm welcome and there's a really g- g- clear and faithful pulpit ministry, um, but not so much the the real sort of uh, DNA that that John described. Um, yeah, that that was a bit of a bit of a shift and. Um, I guess, yeah, just to acknowledge the fact that um, it's it's hard work, it's slow going. Um, I'm, yeah, I I need help as much as as anyone else, and I'm I'm deeply grateful for <laughs> a guy like John and 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 the steering group and others who are helping us us put together resources uh, to help church leaders like us. We, um, you know, we've got one paid-for member of staff, a new pastor called Ollie, and and three elders who are all, all have you know challenging jobs and and mm-hmm. and uh, you know other responsibilities, and so we are we are just looking to make progress, and we are um, we think you know Ollie's new start and lockdown having stopped some of the some of the things we were frantically sort of running. Yeah. Gives us a great opportunity to to say, okay, where are we at? Like John was saying, like review first, like where are we at in terms of this culture? Where are our people at, and how can we make progress? And I think that's that's really where we're at at, at Elmstead. Well, thank you for that, Lefraz. I think I think if I was listening to the podcast and trying to get my head around who are these guys who are running a passion for life, I would be so encouraged, and I hope our leaders, our, our listeners, rather are encouraged. To, to know that this is all based in real life, not in a romantic Disneyland view of ministry, but the real life experience of um, sometimes fairly small local churches where we are having to dig this stuff out from the raw and therefore we need one another. And and that is just even to hear you say that with that hat on in the local church, you're finding the resources of a passion for life very helpful is is an enormous encouragement. Let's let's begin then to to talk about the concept of a passion for life. That's brought us helpfully there. Uh, Lafresse, can you say a word about the about the history of a passion for life so far? Two thousand and ten, two thousand and fourteen, uh, we had something of a beginning. Uh, what what was the history? So, as I understand it, I wasn't involved right from the start, but it was a, an initiative of the the regional gospel partnerships. These are um, cross denominational networks that exist within the regions, mainly of England. There's there's one in Scotland as well, which which you, Craig, and and John are are, are members of. Mm. Um, but Passion for Life started as an initiative of the gospel partnerships, um, just as a means of coming together on mission and nationwide mission to encourage and, and mobilize uh, churches across uh, the nation. 2010 had an emphasis on on big events, and there were, were speakers, both local and international speakers, um, being driven up and down the regions, and, and it was it was quite public and very exciting. 
Um, but I, I think in 2014, then the, 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 it was already shifting towards uh, more of an emphasis on um, the follow-up and the mm. and the personal evangelism and the and the and the personal connection and moving the emphasis more towards the local church and maybe local churches um, working in partnership, but less emphasis on 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 big events. Sure. Um, that's how much I understand about the the history, and I, I know it's the intention was to do it every four years. The people who were giving it energy just got gobbled up and in, in, in doing other very important stuff of too. Course. So, so yeah. And John, did that did that have a a UK and Ireland wide impact, or was it mostly down south that these earlier a Passion for Life initiatives took hold? Yeah, I, I think uh, 2010, 2014 probably had a much more uh, significant impact in England than they did yeah. uh, Scotland, Wales, uh, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland. But I think, again, Lafraise said that the history came through the regional gospel partnerships and the regional gospel partnerships in England have been very strong. That cross-denominational encouragement to evangelism uh, and hugely commendable. And I think we, we're starting to see uh, some of that taking place in Scotland and other areas at the present moment but certainly for this year one of the aims very clearly still uh, you know very much uh, you know acknowledging that's the roots of the whole thing and working there and embracing all of that but trying to spread that out uh, and real encouragement to connect with different networks uh, particularly uh, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland and seek to uh, get more and more traction that it can be a real UK and Ireland wide uh, initiative. Brilliant. So we we might have heard of a passion for life before now. Lafraz, how did it come to be resurrected and, and why at this point in time? Um, <clears throat> I w- yeah, I, I wish I could say it was through uh, sort of one person's wisdom, but it really I really sense that the Lord has, has called a lot of people together. So as far as my involvement, um, we're good friends with uh, our our you know, our, our partners at Christianity Explored. It was a normal meeting in Ian Roberts' office and I was chatting mm. to Rico Tice and saying, what's happening with a passion for life? And uh, and, and Rico got a bit of a bee in his bonnet. He phoned Brian O'Donoghue, um, who was the operational lead in, in 2010 and 2014. Um, apparently there were conversations already going on with um the, the the current co-chair Nick McQuaker, who's yeah. who's, who's got a role with uh, with the, working across the uh, gospel partnerships across uh, uh, England and, and and Scotland, and so it just grew. One thing grew, uh, f- you know, led to another. And um, our dear brother Jeremy Marshall, who's just such a a, a voice for um, helping the church uh, get back on mission. Mm. Uh, wanted to be involved uh, too, and and I think that partnership between Nick and Jeremy as as co-chairs is just a really really healthy one, and and it's a joy to work under their leadership, and and as we've yeah as it feels like the Lord's called a team together, an operational team and a, and a steering group, and and if you say why now, I think I think I would say I believe that the Lord is calling us together um, yeah. to mobilize us, uh, and you know. My understanding of the situation today uh, in our in our nations is that um, the church needs revitalization and needs to be united. What a better thing to rally 
uh, under than, than the Lord's glorious mission. And if we look at those who are without hope and without Christ in our nation, millions and millions of them yes. waking up to their mortality, waking up to the fact that they're not in control, what better time? Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy always talks about this is the gospel hour, and, and I, I believe that. Yeah. Today is the day of salvation. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful for what the Lord is doing and uh, just, just really thrilled to play a very, very small part in that. Well, we may hear from Jeremy and Nick uh, in a subsequent episode, but we are, as you say, deeply grateful to the Lord for them, for their uh, leadership of it. And that kind of waiting on the Lord, sense of his stirring, that builds a very appropriate humility into the whole thing, doesn't it? This is not, this is no human bright idea. This is us humbly uh, turning to the Lord, uh, recognizing the the opportunity he's given in these days and 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 seeking to, to serve him. Uh, Lefraz, staying with you for a minute, um, what is the meaning of the name A Passion for Life? How would you help us unpack that? Well, I didn't name it, so I can only uh, venture a, a guess. But for me, passion has, has, has a, a double meaning, doesn't it? It's, it's the Lord's um, passion in, in sacrificing himself on the cross for, for sinners like us. And then it's the response, it's the passionate response to, to what the Lord has, has done. And I guess our, our desire under that Passion for Life banner is to see uh, an, an increased passion in response to who Jesus is in, in the life of our local churches and to see brothers and sisters um, reach out with that passion and offer that life to the people around them. That's my, that's my stab at it. That's very helpful. John, what about you? How would you define the meaning of a passion for life? Well, again, I, I wouldn't uh, disagree with what Lafras has said. It's a great uh, definition of it. Uh, and I think uh, as you start to look at the main delivery areas of it in terms of uh, <clears throat> strengthening uh, the local churches, I think that's a huge part of uh, strengthening them around the life which is theirs in Christ and the life that we have to extend in our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, you know, although we, we have a little strap line there that says a month of mission and a lifestyle of evangelism, a passion for life, uh, all of that <clears throat> revolves around uh, the, the life which is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ, life which every time we read about it in the Scripture is eternal. Uh, and so in the midst of, uh, you know, a world that is reeling, uh, in the midst of the the, the global pandemic, uh, here we are. You know, we're the only folks who have an answer to the biggest question of our own mortality, of our own death. And uh, and every time we speak of life as believers, we speak of eternal life. Amazing, John. Is there is there a succinct way to express the vision of a passion for life? Yeah, I, I find myself increasingly, I, I agree with everything that's there on our website in terms of what we're doing and mobilizing and equipping, but I, I've, I find myself constantly saying to church leaders, we want to be a source of encouragement, we want to be a source of enablement, and we want to enabling, and we want to be a source uh, of equipping. Uh, and so I think what we do is it's very much a, a question of putting our arms around one another, sharpening one another, encouraging one another, enabling one another and equipping one another uh, to do what God has called us to and to do that well. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes we, 
you know, I was earlier on was describing some of the, the sort of DNA of some of the churches I've worked with. It would be great if I said we sat down at the beginning to write it that way and we rolled everything out. I think, truth be told, we always learn as we go and as we grow. And I think one of the great things about A Passion for Life is that we're all united around that, you know, month of mission, that lifestyle of evangelism. But what we're doing is enabling and encouraging and equipping one another as we learn and grow together in all of it. Marvellous. I always hope that nobody listening to the podcast or going to the website will think this is something for others. How should uh, the listener, Lafraz, how should the listener imagine a passion for life in terms of his or her local church setting? What does this movement have to offer? Craig, just linking to what John is saying about encouraging, equipping, resourcing, I, I guess I guess we are prayerfully wanting to serve leaders and 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 for them to make progress in their culture of mission and 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 how uh, our brothers and sisters in the life of the church are able to live and speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Perhaps, depending on the region, partnering with other local churches in terms of publicly proclaiming Christ through events, etc. It's been really encouraging as we've we've gone up and down the country to find regions where the, the previous Passion for Life missions have really established strong networks of churches who regularly do things together in order to publicly proclaim Christ. So imagining the impact, I think it's it's imagining things like uh, a greater partnership with the local gospel preaching local churches in your in your area, um, stronger emphasis on on that culture of mission amongst your leadership and and the life of your local church. Imagine even just three or four individuals in your church really grasping the vision that they've got a, a ministry within their. Mm. Uh, areas of influence, their families, the sports clubs they uh, you know they they are in, uh, their neighbourhoods. I think that's that's just progress, progress on the Lord's mission together, and doing that uh, in partnership is 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 what I would encourage folk to to imagine and to and to prayerfully trust the Lord for progress in the Lord's mission. That's a a great way to for us to think about what that might mean locally for us well how would we begin to move things forward john what are the plans we think in terms of mission culture development we think in terms of personal evangelism training support in in mission what are the plans to roll out uh these resources yeah, the first thing I do is encourage folks to engage uh, with the, the website in the first instance, register an interest there, uh, a passionforlife.org.uk. But uh, if you go on there, you'll find there are three uh, main streams that we're presenting on and seeking to develop and encourage in. And the first is that whole area of mission culture. And what we're doing with that is we're providing uh, in that mission culture section encouragement for local church pastors, leaders, uh, mm. to encourage them, to enable them. A lot of that is the sharing together process as well. It's not just about uh, making provision of things that, uh, you know, podca this podcast is one of the things we would do, uh, but also the articles 
articles, the blogs that are there that they can pick up on. But very central to that and very important is to gather them together monthly once to pray together. Uh, we all know uh, that everything needs to be steeped and this is the work of prayer and we gather them together to pray for one another uh, but also in webinar to, to be as iron sharpening iron on different areas and so uh, next week I'll be hosting a webinar where we'll be looking at the whole business of making space to model mission. Um, you know, that, that that's something that's so important because in the life of the local pastorate, so many pressures can be coming at you that it can be difficult to make the space that you want to, to model uh, a, a good uh, mission-orientated, you know, uh, strong mission culture in your own lifestyle. And uh, we want to try and encourage and help with that. Uh, also, in the personal evangelism training, we're currently seeking to, uh, we're in the pre-production stage of what will become 2024 uh, modules uh, which can be used in the local church for modular training. should say with them that we're trying to create a menu uh, that will cover different areas where basically we'll bespoke a variety of modules that churches can take and use and apply the right modules for their context. So in those 24 areas, we'll address areas like, you know, lovingly connecting with our neighbourhood, with our community, with our non-Christian friends. Uh, we'll give strong, uh, you know, biblical uh, encouragement for what it is to speak the gospel, share the gospel, know the gospel, articulate the gospel. Uh, we'll seek to equip people for faithful witness in the different communities that they inhabit, you know, the workplace, the sports club, uh, the, the place where they live, uh, the, the place where the local church is at and uh, the community it's engaging with. And also look at the whole business of how do we do that everyday discipleship, disciple making disciples, that lifestyle of evangelism that we're talking about. So the personal evangelism training, we're seeking to provide those training modules. From those modules, we'd encourage in the autumn local church leaders to look at them and to pick maybe six or eight that would be very helpful for their context. No one knows the local situation like the local church leaders and yeah. the local people. Well and so, you know, we, we're not trying to design something that's a one-size-fits-all. Mm. We're trying to design something that really is helpful in equipping, enabling, releasing, in giving confidence to our people in the gospel and in how they communicate that uh, amongst their family, amongst their friends, in their neighbourhood, amongst their colleagues. And so we're working hard at doing that. We're in the pre-production stage, we'll have presenters, we'll have discussion materials, we'll have practical things that folks can do. We'll produce that uh, April, May, June, probably into July, just watching the lockdown sort of framework, as it were, and then uh, edit that so that that's there for the autumn uh, for folks to use. And right at this stage, you know, we've been doing a lot of listening and still listening for folks to give us guidance on how we shape that, how we tweak that, how we make that incredibly relevant for the local church that each of them serves within. And then the third stream, we're looking at mission ideas and mission resources. But all of that, again, an arm around the shoulder, a listening yeah. to one another, are trying to shape and hone and get that right in order that it's useful for the church, not only for 2022, but beyond that as well, as we encourage this lifestyle of evangelism. So for leaders across the UK and Ireland, this sounds very, very practical and flexible and adaptable. Um, and uh, we want to be praying the Lord's hand upon that work as you uh, craft that material to to make it as as useful as possible to help. Lafraz, what has been the how strong has been the take up among churches so far? Are you are you encouraged by the the response? 
Very encouraged, Craig. So, um, you know, in terms of numbers, we've 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 probably seen about three or four hundred uh, churches register their their interest in the in the various channels. Mm. Um, but the most encouraging thing, really, for me, has been those webinars where there's been a real connection of of heart and and you know even in a little breakout group i was in uh, a month ago you know you, you had someone from belfast and, and and someone from north of wales and a couple of londoners and and someone from lancashire and um just all of us pouring our hearts out to the lord and 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 trusting him for for progress and yeah that to me that real connection with real people in real situations that are so different to mine, and yet that same universal gospel, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit, that to me it was it was real connection and real encouragement. So so the numbers are looking promising, but but really the heart is is what's what's encouraging me and and just really you know growing that conviction that the Lord is is mobilizing uh, brothers and sisters to to stand together on mission. Marvellous. Well, we have to regrettably draw this to a close or at least begin to do so. Let me, as we do that, ask you to both imagine that um, we have listening now a leader in a local church. And at this point in time, having listened to all that we've been talking about this morning, um, that leader feels that, that the mission culture uh, in their setting is is DOA, that it's just flatlining and is kind of overwhelmed by the thought of the energy that's going to be required to um, turn that around and is prone to the despondency that all of us in the work of the gospel and maybe the loneliness that, that all of us can be prone to. But they're wondering if a passion for life might be the means of seeing the Lord work among his people there locally. What would you say to anyone in that situation. Let's go to you, John, and then we'll come to Lafraz. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned something there, Craig, which can often be the case, and that's the loneliness of pastoral ministry. And sometimes with that, a sense of I'm the one that's responsible. And so one of the things that I would encourage folks to do is to realize that God has placed them uh, and we know this you know the, the thing is we we often know things by conviction but we've not always processed them in our hearts and I think the reality is that to, to connect with others now a passion for life I think gives a great opportunity to connect with the body of Christ throughout the UK and Ireland to connect with people who are exactly as you are and who know how you feel uh, and you know to connect with one another i know that locally in you know ministry here in East Kilbride where i've been based for the last 18 years uh, i have found great encouragement from connecting to others within our community uh, who are focused on the same thing. And uh, so I would encourage folks, first of all, to connect with others and to find great encouragement and to find great, uh, you know, enabling uh, in the company of, of like-minded people. I think it's one of the joys of regional gospel partnerships that in actual fact, that's what they seek to do uh, in that context. And so I'd encourage them to do that. I think the other thing I would do is, is they do that uh, to begin to share something of that with leaders 
I've always been so thankful to God uh, for being part of leadership teams uh, that as you start to share what's on your heart, as you start to share a little bit of vision uh, for evangelism, for connecting with the community, as you start to walk them through the same things that you've been <clears throat> listening to or reading or hearing from others, the actual fact you start to all get on that uh, page and you begin to sharpen yourselves together uh, in that regard. And then... Uh, from that context to uh, make use of uh, the available resources that are for mobilising, uh, for encouraging, uh, for equipping our people, resourcing our people to be able to share it. Uh, look for uh, the early adopters in the life of your church who get this uh, because there's great encouragement uh, amongst them when you start to see one or two people that get it. One of the things we want to do in A Passion for Life is, is have a whole host of stories of, of people that have got this. And I don't mean stories of pastors and church leaders. I mean, everyday members uh, of our churches who've suddenly realized, I can open the Bible with a friend and share Jesus. I can share my story of the difference Jesus has made. Uh, and to hear them, uh, and so to look amongst a congregation for folks who are passionate about that and to be praying with them and sharing with them uh, and, and together just beginning to uh, have that influence throughout uh, the, the, the wider church locally uh, and also uh, within your area, within the region that God has called you to serve. So it's probably it's probably just realising you're not on your, on your own. Uh, I, I know sometimes we can... You know, sometimes we've got to repent of those hyphenated self-sins, haven't we? You know, the self-pity, the self-loathing, you know, the, <laughs> there are so many of them. Uh, an actual fact to realise that God has put us uh, in the body of Christ and he's done that for a reason. And the body of Christ has got so many wonderful gifts and we've just got to open eyes to see what God is doing in other people and begin to to harmonise that. So, Thank uh, you, John. Connect, connect. So for the leaders out there, you're not on your own and your challenges are you are not unique that's the thing and what mm -hmm. what would you say lefries i yeah john john is a pastor the, the other folk you will feature on this podcast would most likely be pastors so i'll speak as a lay elder mm. firstly to the to the pastors i'd say you're not alone within your own local church either and uh do the other leaders in the church family know how you feel? Have you spoken to them? Have you asked them for help and support in carrying that leadership burden? Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's sometimes we miss the leadership gifts. You know, there are people in our churches that lead in business and they lead in their own families, but we, we, we don't give them opportunity to stand with us in leading in the life of the local church. Um, have you had those conversations? And to the lay people out there, I guess I just want to say, step up, brothers and, and sisters. And um, this is not for the um, the church leaders only. They've, they have a gifting. They have a calling, a specific equipping ministry. And the ministry belongs to every single believer. And and we as brothers and sisters need to own it and to and to walk with the Lord and to partner with each other in the life of the local church, leading, serving, reaching out. Lafraz, John, very many thanks for sharing with us today. We thank the Lord for you, for his grace in your lives, for the way that he's equipped you and is using you. And we pray his continued blessing and protection upon the work of the Word One to One ministry and a passion for life. And thank you so much for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged, that you've been stimulated, that you will uh, reach out to others and share that encouragement and stimulation 
with them. And we hope you'll be kind enough to join us again. Please check apassionforlife.org.uk for details. Bye for now.